Canucks fans, and welcome into Season 4, Episode 11 of the Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Pete. And I'm Doug. It's a short little flight today, Doug, so let's get right into it. The Canucks hosted the Minnesota Wild, which was probably the most boring game of the season for the Canucks. They ended up losing 3-0, an absolute snooze fest. Now, what's up with the Canucks at home? They go to Calgary and have a pretty entertaining game, win 4-3 in the shootout with Kuzmenko scoring the winner. He also added a helper. Canucks were up 2-0 at one point. Also, shout out to uh, the season. Let's call him the Elf Line, uh, Hoglander. Dries and Garland. They had a pretty solid game out there. And yeah, Doug, that's it for a flight. Only two games. We've had some this year where we've had six games and uh, we only get two this week. So uh, yeah, we are some kind of light scheduling going on here. Yeah, the Canucks had a big break, I think, in between the Minnesota game and the Calgary game. I think it was four days off in between those two games. Um, so hence why there's only two flight games for us to talk about this week. We got four before Christmas still. We got the Jets, Blues, Kraken, and Oilers. So a little bit of a busy hop before Christmas. Uh, I don't think we'll be recording before Christmas uh, again. but uh, So we'll have a nice nice big flight after that. Yeah, uh, I know you're pretty busy next week. I know I'm pretty busy next week. So this will be our final episode before Christmas. But we'll definitely get an episode out before New Year's. Yeah, man, it's that busy time of year. How's things in your neck of the woods, Doug? Uh, I mean, it's been pretty busy. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, so I don't know if that's going to translate over the microphone or not. But uh, we had our Christmas staff party on the Monday. And then Tuesday, I joined Braden, friend of the show, and Brogan uh, on the Orca podcast, which was fun. Had a great time with those two guys. And, you know, I think it was episode seven of the Orca podcast, so they're just starting to grow their brand and their name out there, but Braden was also formerly part of the PP1 podcast. We've had him on the podcast a number of times. We've gone to a couple of games with him. Um, we actually recorded, I remember uh, we recorded live in your apartment. It was one of the last few live recordings we did with him and Sean of uh, Point Shop. Yeah, the 50th episode spectacular. That was 80 episodes ago. Jeez Louise. That's some good math by me right there. 130 minus 50. I just like just off the top of my head. Boom. I got it. Nice. 13 minus 8, man. You're on it. Uh, I sure am. Um, yes, that man, I'm the same. I wasn't on any podcasts this week, but it's just, man, I'm just busy just trying to get stuff done before Christmas so I can take a little breather. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. I'm also stoked that Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we got football on. So I think that's going to be a lot of my life, at least Christmas Eve for sure. Well, it's also our fantasy playoffs this week. I know you got the bye, Pete, but, uh, you know, yep. I've got a big matchup against, uh, one of the new arrivals of, uh, our league this year. Um, Clint, I don't know if you listened to the podcast, but, uh, good luck this week. Uh, as long as your players score less points than mine, uh, I wish you all the best. Clint lives in Australia. I don't think they have podcasts yet down there. <laughs> um, coming up on this episode, Brendan and Dan are both back to do segments. So we got some great content from them coming up and, uh, we're going to talk all things Canucks. There's uh, as you folks know, even with, with, I, you know, I, I was kind of thinking this with, with, without a lot of games, it's almost like 
the fan frenzy kind of goes nuts about a lot of different things. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Bo, Petey, Miller, all that stuff that is the current go-to for Canucks divisive comments out there online. Um, lots to talk about and uh, what coming up uh, as well for the Canucks uh, down the stretch is there's some, uh, some more big games as the Canucks continue to find themselves in a playoff race. Um, yeah, they, they, they kind of are in a playoff race right now. Yeah, I mean, their record, I I think they're, they've won nine of their last, or no, yeah, is it nine of their last 16 games or something like that? Like, their record's pretty good if you look at it from a wins-loss perspective. It's just the way they're winning these games and still giving up late leads and finding a way to claw back and getting, you know, a shootout win against the Calgary Flames, but still giving up a point. Um, I think there was a couple of times... Uh, they were up. Were they up two goals in that Calgary game at one point? And then they coughed up a yep. two-goal lead uh, in the first period there. And it's just, yeah, sustainability and the way this team is playing doesn't seem like something that it's going to be able to do throughout the course of the rest of the season. But I guess we'll find out. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it's going to be pretty wacky here. The Canucks are uh, sit at a Bettman five hundred right now, thirteen, thirteen and three. I've heard that phrase thrown around a lot lately, and uh, I like it. The Bettman, the Bettman five hundred. That's where the Canucks are, thirteen, thirteen, three. So, yeah, they're still in it, but uh, you know, I, I know what I know what a lot of Canucks fans think is they're going to miss the playoffs. They're, and they're not going to be in a lottery spot, and they're going to pick somewhere between ten and sixteen. That's that's probably what's going to happen, right? Well, this draft is supposed to be a pretty deep draft, which is kind of nice. Um, but obviously the prize is Connor Bedard. And I think this draft in particular, Connor Bedard being a local kid, I think this is the year that a lot of Canuck fans are like, hey, if we're going to be bad, then let's be bad and actually you know, have the best chance at drafting what seems to be the next generational talent in the NHL, and that's Connor Bedard. Yeah, dude is the next generational talent. I think he's the real deal. Uh, also, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Pete underscore gas. The podcast is at Canuck Speak. Be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn. And check out the playlist on Spotify. It's the Canuck Speak Easy outro playlist. And another funky jam will be getting added to the playlist at the end of this episode from you, Pete, as you're going to be editing this one. I sure am, which usually means that you edited the last one. So in this case, that is correct. So tell us about the track you used. Yeah. So again, I actually just kind of randomly stumbled upon this track. Uh, it's from an artist named Labby Safri or Safir. I, I could be pronouncing that wrong. So if I am, I apologize. Uh, the song's called I Got The. And the beginning of the song, I don't think most people would think too much of it they're like oh okay whatever this is just some old funk soul track from like the 70s and then it gets to the middle of the song and there's a very famous sample that comes up that again and to be fair i'm not even a fan of the person who popularized that sample and made it a massive huge hit and that was eminem um but it's the sample from hello my name is and it's such a cool, the whole song, just the way it builds up and then there's a bit of a break and then all of a sudden it comes back in and there's, it's just a, a two minute instrumental part of a six minute song where you hear that sample from Hello My Name Is, and the Eminem uh, song. And it's just, yeah, it's a great song, man. Uh, I Got The by Labby Safri. 
The guy is kind of known for being well sampled in the hip hop world. He kind of reminds me a bit of Gil Scott Heron as well. He's like a poet, and uh, uh, but he's very, uh, very well sampled guy. And and most people would know it from that track from yeah from the breakdown uh, from that Eminem uses. Who I'm also not a big Eminem guy, but as soon as you hear that break, you know you know exactly what it is. Yeah. Um. You know what? Uh, getting into the spirit of Christmas, um, I think Dan has a little something for us here. So let's get into this week's episode of Dan's Feelings. Hey, everybody. This is sort of out of the norm, but I had such a wild dream last night that I, I, I just felt I, I needed to share it and talk about it. <sighs> last night, I was visited by three spirits, ghosts, if you will, of the GMs of past, present, and future. It was quite rattling. The first spirit took me back to the year 2014 when the team and the city was ready for a rebuild. But instead, moves were made to limp them along in mediocrity with questionable drafting, poor UFA signings, and an overall lack of direction. It left me feeling confused frustrated and sad looking back at all the wasted time. I went back to sleep and was awoken again. This time it was the GM spirit of the present where I was shown a pathway for a rebuild, again ready for it, by moving assets at their peak value for building blocks for a team that could compete for a championship hopefully but instead of doing so they just doubled down on the core again to find themselves in the exact same position a year later floundering and looking like a team with no direction and possibly investing in the same group once again after that spirit left i was a mess i was covered in sweat and shivering i was in fear of what he had shown me. Then, I heard a creaking of footsteps in the hallway. I begged for the spirit to let me be, but he did not. The monstrous figure of the GM spirit of the future burst into my room and flew me forward to see what my future would hold. And there, I saw an empty Rogers arena with a roster filled of players in their mid-thirties a shell of their former glory, lost in their own zone while being dominated by the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, the Seattle Kraken. I begged the spirit to please stop. And how could this be avoided? As I looked up to this ominous figure, he turned to me and spoke for the first time. Rebuild. And then I woke up and made some coffee. Anyways, happy holidays, everybody. All right, thanks, Dan. Really, uh, really up in the production value here uh, for for his segments, uh, and uh, I and I like the the Christmas theme as well in there. The ghosts of. Canucks past, present, and future, all visiting our friend Dan Mackles, who you can find on Twitter at Dan Mackles. Um, I just wanted to say that, that 2014, like, uh, I actually, while he was talking there, I pulled up the, the Canucks 2014 
roster there. And there's uh, there's some names on there. The one that really jumps out at me uh, was Adam Clendenning, which was uh, that horrible trade for Gustav Forsling, uh, which I still don't understand. But, you know, you mentioned Sven Berchi. Uh, that was his arrival as well. He was on on the the team as well. There's uh there's just a whole bunch of like who's who from uh, Canucks lore. Lucas Spiza is on the team. Ryan Stanton, Ronald Kennons, uh, Zach Cassian, Yannick Weber. Like uh, that 2014 team. And of course, you know who we drafted in the first round. 2014 was old man Jake uh, there as well. Um, but I was having a good chuckle just kind of listening to that, and then. Um, Kind of his his he's looking at the future. He's got the Canucks still doing the same things and uh, the Kraken winning back to back cups. Uh, I think Dan's just uh, Dan's in a bit of a bad spot right now with his Canucks fandom. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously, if the Kraken won back to back Stanley Cups in the next uh, five ten years here, I and we're still cupless, I would I would be crushed as a Canucks fan as well. Um, yeah, the twenty fourteen harkening back to that time. Obviously, that's ob- when. Benning traded Ryan Kessler, which to me should have signified the Canucks going into a proper rebuild. I know the Sedins were still on the roster at the time, and Trevor Linden made comments publicly that how was he ever supposed to go in that room and tell Daniel and Hendrick they're going to tear it down. And I get all that, but it's still disappointing. I I think there was a lot of short-sighted moves during that time. But I also think if maybe some of those swings and misses that Benning took would have hit, maybe the outlook would be a little bit different, right? What if Adam Adam Clendenning actually became the player that they thought they were acquiring? Um, I, Lyndon Vay was another guy who was kind of, I won't, I won't say he was highly touted, but he was a guy that, you know, oh, he I was. Think, yeah, and I think a lot of people thought he could be a good player. And then obviously there was some crazy personal things that he went through where I believe his father was in a, a hire for murder scheme against his own mother, um, against his wife. Like Lyndon Vay's father was trying to hire a, a guy to kill his wife, which obviously would be soul crushing, you know, if you're a player in the NHL trying to deal with something like that. But uh, yeah, and now with recent remarks about the Canucks looking for players that can help them now, that was kind of the same rhetoric we heard from Benning back then. And I understand why some fans are a little bit nervous. Yeah, Canucks fans have every right to be nervous. Um, and, and 2014 was also kind of, once you realize that the, there's really just the remnants of the 2011 team on there, you know, you still had Burroughs, Hansen. Um, you got Bieksa, like there is really just the remnants of that team. And you knew that they were going downhill and a rebuild never fully happened then. And uh, this is really the talk of the town in Vancouver right now is, are we going to see a rebuild? And what is the future of Bo Horvat? Um, we also put out on Twitter this week, and this is kind of our little Christmas thing that we're doing this week is, is Christmas presents for this team. Um, and... We just put it out there, and there's a few comments uh, from from folks, and so I'm going to read through some of these comments, Doug, and uh, just have a, a little bit of a chat about what some of the folks out there are saying. I'm going to start it off with uh, with you, Doug. You said new ownership. Thank yeah. you for uh, replying to uh, the podcast tweet. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. Of course, man. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, new ownership has kind of been an issue with this club post-2011. It seemed, well, I, you know what? I shouldn't even say post-2011 because 
there were rumors and rumblings that Aquilini had been meddling with the team and the direction the team should or shouldn't be going when Dave Nonis was the GM. I mean, there's a lot of people speculate the reason Dave Nonis was let go when he was let go is because he refused to trade for Brad Richardson um, from the Tampa Bay Lightning. So Brad Richards. Brad Richards, Brad Richardson was also on Brad Richardson was also on the 2014 team, actually. Yes, and he was actually on the Canucks last year, too. Uh, they picked him up at the trade yeah. deadline, didn't they? Uh, yeah, they got him off waivers. Oh, waivers, that's right. Yeah, so for me, it's just that meddling owner. Look, you love the fact that he's willing to spend money and that he does want the team to win. Kind of the polar opposite of what we had for a decade with John McCaw. But you just you got to let the people you hire who are actual proper hockey people who do scouting and understand structure of how to build a hockey team do their jobs and when you're restricting them to do their jobs like he did by you know Gillis not being allowed to trade Ryan Kessler when he wanted to and obviously getting rid of Dave Nonis for not trading for Brad Richards you've got a meddling owner and now people think the same thing with what's going on with the Canucks and them signing JT Miller and you, you like to think with Rutherford in there, that's now the buffer. Um, but uh, Canucks fans need uh, a little more proof of that. Joe Schlebutnik agrees with you. He also says uh, a new owner. Um, and we also have uh, We Need an Army also agrees with you, saying Frank to put the reins down. So there's a couple of other people saying ownership issues. Um, we got a few uh, in here that say Connor Bedard as well. Of course, Irving Billy says Connor Bedard. Yeah, that'd be great. Marty Thwacker says Connor Bedard. Yeah, that would be great. I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, again, like I said earlier, I just, I, I'm predicting now that the Canucks are going to finish between 10th and 16th and uh, not be in on Bedard. But man, yeah, we, we mentioned it earlier. That would be uh, a good one. Uh, Jay says, Petey, Hughes, and Coos change the team up, try and get Bedard, and change the culture. The C to Petey and the A to Hughes. Um, so I, I think they're saying uh, keep, keep those guys and keep up Coos, keep Coos, but then change the rest of the team up to try and get Bedard. So some more Bedard in there. Uh, Ken Henderson, he's got a long one here. Real change. Move Horvat, Garland, Miller, if possible, Hoglander. Package Myers, Stillman, Poolman, Pearson, OEL, if possible. Get back a top four D, D prospects, picks. Uh, elevate anyone from Abbey that needs. Uh, give the C to Pedersen. So there's another one with uh, giving the C to Pedersen. I think that's inevitable with time. I think you're going to see Pedersen get the, the C. Hey, look, all those trades. I, I've said before, I don't think the Canucks are trading Miller. I, uh, and I'm not so sure that they should trade Hoglander right now. Um not just because he's been playing better, but I don't think there's enough of a market. And Hoglander's still really young. So I don't think that he's the type of guy you trade. Horvat and Garland, well, Horvat right now, the talk of the town, we're going to get more into that. Garland, certainly, even though he's been playing better, that's a that's a trade chip uh, you have. And then same with all those other guys package. Well, Pullman, there's not a lot of value in. Stillman, he's more likely to end up on waivers. Pearson, I'm actually a bigger advocate for Pearson than, than many, but if you're going full rebuild, yeah, you try and trade him. Myers is really only tradable after you pay out his bonus, uh, in my opinion. And then getting back top 4D and prospects, yeah, we and, and picks. I mean, geez, yeah, we always we, we definitely need all of those right now. Yeah, I mean, in an in in, in ideal world, uh, to be able to get rid of 
you know, guys like Stillman, Myers, Poolman, Pearson. Look, I like Pearson too. This year he did really struggle, I felt. I, I You know, obviously he's been injured for the last 10 or 12 games, but he has struggled this year. Um, and I also think we just have better wingers now that can do what Pearson did, but more efficiently. Mikheyev, for instance, is a guy who is really good on the PK um, and is better at putting the puck in the net right now. And obviously Kuzmenko's arrival has not only usurped a guy like Pearson, but you know made a guy like Brock Besser seemingly expendable and Connor Garland seemingly expendable and yeah, I, I I think change is needed. There, this core, it's the big issue is they just ran it back with pretty much the same core from last year with some minor tweaks. And to me, we all thought you know it was broken last year. So I still think they need to do some kind of significant trade, whether that's a Horvat, a Miller. But I agree with you, Pete. I don't think they're going to do that. Just the aesthetics of trading Miller after signing him to that long term deal. And I don't know if there's any takers on Miller and his contract coming up. Maybe there is, but I doubt it. But yeah, some kind of big deal like that I think it, this team needs. They need a real change in culture in the dressing room. Well, and that's what Dan says as well, who we just heard from. Uh, he says culture change, which um, I think, you know, training your captain is a pretty big culture change if you go that route. But yes, uh, Nick, Nick, uh, I don't think he likes the American players on the team. He says trade Miller, Demko, Garland, Joshua, Besser, Hughes and Poolman for some good Canadian kids to change the culture of this team. Uh, I don't I don't think that, uh, you know, being American is part of the, the, the culture problem, but I do think that you know, there's been a lot of tinkering around the edges with the Canucks and what they need to do, like you just said, is is make something more substantial uh, with, with uh, in terms of change. Um, Rutherford's first Christmas says it's not my perfect Christmas gift, but it will be whatever we get in return for Bessers and Horvat's trades. That's what's coming for Canucks fans. And I, I think, you know, tying in with culture. I mean, that would be a pretty big culture change, right? I mean, I know that Besser hasn't done a lot. Horvat, though, has obviously been playing great. But those are two guys who the Canucks were, I think, I think a lot of us saw them as building blocks for this team for a long time. We've gotten, what, like nine years out of Horvat. But you want to change the team up and change the chemistry in the room, like that would be that would be two guys you do it with, right? Is is Besser and Horvat? Yeah, the big thing is obviously Besser and PD seem to be very close, and whether or not that would affect a potential PD extension next summer, um, I would hope it wouldn't. I mean, unfortunately, hockey is a business, and friends and players you play with get traded all the time. Um, but that would be a big seismic shift. I agree. That would be a massive change. I don't know if it's all the changes this team needs because, like most people say, right now the biggest issues are on the back end. But, yeah, trading Horvat and Besser, that would be a big shift in that dressing room for sure. Greg says, I would like Santa to bring Canuck Twitter more good takes. And you know what? I completely agree with this. Is uh, I've, I know sometimes – I put out tweets sometimes. I, I'm a big stats guy, and I like to put out tweets with stats that are intentionally vague – because I know it'll ruffle up Canucks Twitter uh, a bit uh, sometimes. And I, I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'm stirring the pot, but I just like I like to put something out that you can interpret a lot of different ways. I'm not saying that's a good take, but I'm, I do think that what, what happens a lot of the time with, uh, with Canucks takes is that 
someone leads the charge and then people kind of follow it. And uh, I would like to see more people really just with independent or just different takes. You know, it's I find it hard to sometimes listen to a lot of the Canucks stuff because it's the same thing over and over that we're hearing right now. And I would like to hear just different views, different opinions and different good takes, like some thinking outside the box takes. It's like, you know, I just mentioned trading Horvat and Besser. It's like, well, maybe someone has a great idea with what trading Hughes or Demko or someone could do for this team. You know, uh, I, I, I would certainly like to hear some more and more good and more different takes uh, out there in Canucks Twitter instead of this constant divide that seems to happen a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of people just bring up the past and like the mistakes of previous general managers. And I get it. Like, don't get me wrong. You see those things. It's like, oh, the Canucks taking Peter Nedved over Yarmir Yager or whatever. You can you can go through oh, every decade back. of this team and look at something. Obviously, Jim Benning, we mentioned trading for Adam Clendenning for Gustav Forsling. That's obviously a bad trade in hindsight. But there comes a point when we have to start to look forward and stop dwelling on mistakes of the past. Scott LaRock, shout out to Boogie Down Productions, yeah. says Bowen Byron, Alex Newhook, and a third. I mean, that would be great. I, I can I can assume he's alluding to Bo Horvat. We would do that in a heartbeat. Um, I just don't think Colorado is uh, is where Horvat's going to land if he gets traded. I uh, I'm not quite sure what their draft pick situation is, but uh, they're they're tight with the cap. I don't see them trading Byram, and I think it's very unlikely they trade Newhook. But those are the kind of pieces that ideally the Canucks would like to get back for uh for a Bo Horvat deal and but if that happened man I'd snatch that up in a second yeah I mean I think if that trade was made it would be more of a rental for Colorado to try to go back to back because I think they thought Newhook could step up into that 2c after they lost Kadri in the offseason and he had he's struggled a bit and so I it would make sense I think Horvat would be a really good fit for Colorado and be an, a, an incredible 2c for them but, you know, are they going to be willing to give up that much for a rental? I mean, if it means the difference between you going back-to-back -back for a Stanley Cup championship, maybe. But, yeah, I agree with you, Pete. I doubt they would give it, give that much up. Colorado only has four picks in each of the next two drafts as well right now. And in neither draft, they have a second or a third. Next year, they don't have a fourth. The year after, they don't have a fifth. So... It's going to be hard for them. They they couldn't trade a third until 2025 uh, anyways. And I don't see them trading a first with uh, that kind of dearth uh, of picks. But, hey, if anything was to happen involving Byram or Newhook, I'd be all over it. Yeah, it's... Christian again, says... Uh, oh, sorry, no, I was just going to say, it's, it's a shame that Byram plays the left side, right? If he was a right-shot defenseman, it would be an absolute slam dunk. But anyways, yeah. We we love our our kids with connections to Vancouver uh, though as well. Christian says trade Besser Horvat EP forty Demko Hughes give Shen the C in twenty six minutes a game build the core around Shen OEL Myers and Miller. This is going really well. Uh, trade our next five years of first round picks for Louis Roussel and Beagle and give them eight by eight each. Make a thirty foot gold statue of Aquilini outside Rogers. Now that is the kind of trolling I'm here for. That's some nice trolling, Christian. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I love it. I mean, the th the the cherry on top is the thirty foot stat gold statue of Aquilini outside of Rogers Arena. Well, 
only after all of those moves, then you do it. And uh, yes, that's uh, that's some excellent trolling. Love it. I, I will say this. The uh, one and, thing uh, about his post that is probably the least trolly, even though I, I'm agreement with you because you said it already, if Horvat gets traded, the most logical person to get the C is uh, Patterson. But putting the C on Shen, I mean, Shen is showing very strong leadership and captain qualities this year with the Canucks and I wouldn't be mad if you put the C on him but obviously it should go to Pedersen gotta gotta sign him first uh Super David replied to him somebody hire this guy so he's also uh, uh appreciating that a couple more here Bird a friend of the show says OEL agrees to waive his no movement clause now that would be a good one um I I think re- even if he does waive it that's going to be a tough trade to make um, still. I mean, there is still value. OEL can still play, but he can't play anywhere near his cap hit. So I think even if he does agree to waive his no movement, Canucks would have to retain. And then if you're getting into the retaining aspect, you have to make sure that the retaining figure makes sense compared to what the buyout is. And you're also going to have to attach some sort of sweetener. So I think, again, you know, I've, I've said this before. I think the there's more of a reality of OEL getting bought out than him agreeing to waive his no movement clause. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Pete. In order, even if he did waive his no trade clause, you're probably going to then have to retain salary plus give up a sweetener. You're, you're better off. You You truly are better off just buying him out. Keep the pick or the prospect. That's something I've actually seen a bit uh, online uh, this past week is people coming around to that idea I floated a couple episodes ago about how the Canucks should buy out OEL and then weaponize all the cap space it saves next year because it's an absolutely minimal cap hit next year of 140k and it frees up seven million for you to take back some assets and along with some bad contracts. Yeah, and you know, right now I think this team is wanting to be able to be in that position where they can be flexible to pick up a player who's a really good player, but on the cheap. I mean, again, we always harken back to when the Canucks picked up Christian Erhoff from the San Jose Sharks. They were a lucky team who had the cap space to take on Erhoff's contract at the time because San Jose had just acquired Danny Heatley. And then this year we saw it with the Kraken and Oliver Bjorkstrand. You know, if you have that flexibility and that cap space to get a really good player for pennies on the dollar because the other teams up against it cap wise, or they're making room to add a different player to add a different dynamic to the team. You, you want to have that flexibility. You want to be one of the teams that the other GM trying to unload this good player can call because you have the cap space to absorb their contract. It also gives you options of doing things like the, uh, the Patrick Marlowe in a first uh, options as well, right? So, you know, you take on players who maybe have one year left and then, uh, and, and then you get a, a pick or something with it. Yeah, and I'm not sure that's going to happen. I, I think it's highly unlikely, but it's, it's, again, I think it's an option that, the, that Emily and the team certainly would have to look at in terms of how you want to manage the cap. Uh, our last one, bring back Benning, hashtag get hard for Bedard. That's a, that's a good handle overall, says a riot. I mean, hey, it's been a while. We haven't we haven't seen a riot for a while now. Uh, I mean, what we're rioting over, who knows? But I, I I think a riot will will at some point be in our future again, knowing this city and our history and love of riots. Yeah, I mean, to me, bring a riot means a Stanley Cup run, right? I mean, that's kind of what I mean. If given the history of this team and this city, 
a riot equals Stanley Cup run. So I don't want to see the riot, but obviously I definitely want to see us get back on a proper Stanley Cup run here. Uh, theoretically, we'll be more prepared. Uh, thanks to everyone who contributed there. There's some good stuff. Uh, there's some funny stuff on Santa's wish list. Um, let's now hear what Brendan has to say. Jabo underscore Vancouver on Twitter. Uh, let's get to jabbering with Jabo. Just a bit outside. Welcome back to another installment with me, Brendan, a.k.a. Jabo. And today, I'm going to be discussing something that's kind of irked me. And it really only started, uh, you know what, no, it's irked me for a while, but it, it really came back into my consciousness today. And, and that is the constant comparison between what the previous regime did and the current Canucks regime are looking to do. And that is really with, you know, Bull Horvat and his contract situation and what looks to be, you know, at, at least they're exploring trade possibilities for Bull Horvat. And, you know, I mean, it, it's come out that what they're looking for are ready NHL players between the ages of 21 and 25 which, in my opinion, makes complete sense, regardless of whether that's a fanciful idea, whether it's, you know, whether it's actually doable or not, it's, it should be what they're looking to do. This idea that going for futures, you know, that makes no sense. It makes no sense to go for draft picks and really, really young prospects when the core of your team is between the ages of 21 and 25 years old. Now, that doesn't mean you trade away your draft picks. That's what you do. You continue to draft using the draft picks that you have, and you go from there to rebuild your stock. But it makes sense for what they're doing now with the age of their core to go after players in that age group. Does it not? To me, it makes perfect sense. But you have those people, and, and really, I mean, there's media members, I'm not going to say what his name is, but really just clickbaiters, it's what they are, that constantly, the only way they can get you to read what they, what they write is to make some, oh, well, this is just like what Benning did without acknowledging that the, that the situations are different, that they're not the same, um, that, you know what, and, and, and in some regards, hey, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think what Benning did was necessarily the wrong idea. The execution is where you can knock. You know, those, those players that they got didn't work, that were between the ages of, you know, 23 and 25, 22 and 25 and you know, we, we can go through the list of those players, but, I mean, we all know the names now. Um, and so, really, so the idea then, and, and the fear, and, and, and fans, I mean, you got to get over it. Just because, of, just because an organization t- trends towards making moves that are similar to what a previous regime made doesn't mean that the results are going to be different or are going to be the same. So... Really, I mean, to me, if you're trading Bo Horvat, 
and you're looking to make this team better, and, and uh, it, it makes complete sense. I mean, unless somebody's offering you a top five draft pick, which, I mean, I don't know how likely, and it's probably extremely unlikely, then if you're training him to a contender, well, what are your futures going to be? Low first-round draft picks, which are basically glorified second-round draft picks that have, you know, even if they do make the NHL, it's going to be, it's like they're 17 now, probably a good four to six years before they're making any sort of an impact, unless you get really lucky, but that's rare. And this regime's said already that they don't want to rush prospects, so you can guess four to six years. So it makes sense then to look at teams that might be looking at Bull Horvat as an option to get there to move forward that have a dearth of players between the ages of 21 and 25 and hopefully find a deal there. Now, that's not, that, that doesn't mean you do, you're going to, but that's absolutely what they should be looking for. 100%. That doesn't mean you settle for anything between the ages of 21 and 25, but it makes complete sense. And it doesn't make any sense to constantly go back and compare everything this regime did to the previous regime. You know, judge them on their own merits. Judge them on what they do. So if they make a trade for, for Boholvat and they trade him to, say, I don't know, Detroit and they get players between the ages of 21 and 25. We'll judge it based on what they get. Because I guarantee you they're not going to be getting Sven Berchi's back. And no offense to Sven Berchi, but that just didn't work out here for you know, a myriad of reasons. Um, but yeah, it's just the constant, the constant desire that you know any move that, that, that's going to be made is going to be compared to the previous regime or it's going to be blamed on ownership who is who are, who are meddling and you know I'm not going to sit here and say that this ownership group hasn't been guilty of that I'm sure most definitely sure that they have but any move that resembles a move that the previous regime m m would have made doesn't mean that that's an ownership decision it could just mean that this is the right thing for this team in its current position. Because if they start trading their assets away for nothing but futures and players that aren't ready to play in the NHL right now, that doesn't sit well with the chances that they're going to be able to, to, to sign Elias Pettersson in a year. Why the hell would he want to stick around for that? Doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't. He wants to he wants to start playing on a team that can win. And so the best way to do that is to get players in his age group that help him in that process. Not trade him for 17-year-olds that are going to be NHL players in 4 to 6 years. No sense. So that's this week. And uh, I don't think we're doing a show next week. No, I don't. Although maybe, you never know. But regardless, if I don't see you next week, Merry Christmas. I, I, I wish your families all the best. New Year's as well. If I don't talk to you before New Year's, but I might. But you'll see me on Twitter regardless. Those who are on Twitter who listen to the show. Um, but yes, 
we'll talk again soon. Obviously, Canucks game's coming up. They're winning, probably not sustainably well, but they're winning. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Brendan. Uh, he calls himself Jabo there. I've always called him Jabo. Um, but uh, he, he said Jabo. Maybe uh, maybe this is like one of those you know pronunciation things with a hockey player where uh, eventually they correct us. But uh, maybe we'll have to start calling him Jabo. I, I yeah, I still prefer Jabo. Uh, you know, it's hard to break old <laughs> habits die hard. Even though he's saying it's Jabo, but yeah, old habits die hard. Can you think of a Canuck name off the top of your head that we just always mispronounce? I know there's been a few over the years, but uh, like just just Canucks fans in general, and then they're like, actually, I mean, Peterson Patterson is kind of a good one as well, right? Uh, uh, right? Like, uh, can you think of any other ones that jump to mind that fans just could never agree on how to properly pronounce a name? Uh, Berchi, Barchi. Hmm. Good one. He's making a couple of appearances on this show. Yeah. Um. So. Brandon, again, passionate um, about the the comparison of regimes from the old regime to the new regime, um, what a Horvat trade would look like. This is something that's been coming up uh, a lot lately, uh, obviously, is that the Canucks are looking more for NHL-ready players as opposed to picks. Now, I'm not against picks and prospects as the full return because that does give you more cap flexibility as well. But there is a lot to be said for where you see this team going and how 20 to 25 year olds would fit into that a lot more because they are more NHL ready. Uh, And again, like the other thing with a 20 to 25 year old, especially if you're on the lower end of that spectrum is by that point in their, in their careers, you kind of have a little more of an idea of what they are instead of some of the magic beans that comes along with going with draft picks and prospects. Yeah, I agree. Obviously draft picks are a crapshoot, right? Sometimes you'll hit on some, sometimes you won't. I just think why there's a lot of rhetoric about the Canucks wanting to take players of that age category is because that's exactly what Benning said he wanted to do, is this rebuild on the fly. They were targeting players, you know, what was it, like 22 to like 25, I think were the players they were trying to target at that time. And we already discussed it on this episode. It was... Generally speaking, uh, tremendous failure. And so I think that's where a lot of Canuck fans right now, when they hear these comments being reported from insiders like Pierre Lebrun, they automatically have PTSD to assume the worst. I also don't entirely agree with Brendan on this take. I, I do think there is value, even though the gap seems, you know, like the, the player that you're drafting tomorrow might not be helping your team for five, six years down the track. I do think there's still value in that because if that player is developing in their drafts, they increase their own draft stock. Let's say you draft a guy in the third round and now he's, you know, highly touted and thought to be a first round talent. You know, you could trade him to get a player who can help you now. So I I, I think just having all available access to good players and talented players in your organization is key and draft picks are important i also earlier in the episode i said about how this year i think even more so than previous years a lot of canuck fans are really honing in on this particular draft because of who's at the top of the draft list well, that's one thing this year is um, one thing Brendan mentions is uh, the later first round picks from contenders, right? And those are often a crapshoot. And I've heard people say this year that the top 60 players in this draft 
are all good. Now, I don't think teams are very willing to part with first rounders this year or second rounders. It's going to be hard. And as we already talked about with Colorado, they don't have a second round pick the next couple of years. Again, for me, it's there's something to be said. It really like, you know, we can't really call the trade and they shouldn't be doing this because we don't know anything. We we got some vague parameters here that they're looking for more NHL ready help. Well, that can mean anything, right? Like a 20 year old player all in the NHL, like there's a, there's a lot of good 20 year old players in the NHL and 21 year old players that I'm sure Canucks fans would be drooling over. Right? Like, I mean, it's not like just a case of saying, Oh, we, we, we can't have an NHL ready player because we need draft picks you know i don't necessarily think that's the case but it, we're working with such vagaries uh, uh in terms of what the team is after i mean you know like noah dobson is 22 that's a guy that the long for long time canucks fans have drooled about the possibility of getting a guy like noah dobson do you think if he was included in the deal we'd be all freaking out because he's 22 years old they I mean, that's still a really good young player. So I think it's a range. I think I think what what's unfortunate in a way is I wish the Canucks had said 18 to 22 instead of 20 to 25 or 18 to 23. Like give a slightly different five-year window because what a lot of Canucks fans hear when they say 20 to 25 is that's excluding draft picks or recently drafted prospects and I don't think that should necessarily be the case. And I think 25 is getting to the kind of the higher range of, of that. And I think uh, if they'd said 18 to 23, I think just even from from a public relations standpoint, that would have been a lot better, right? Because, like, I mean, Petey's 24. So, you know, maybe that's that's kind of the numbers you work with. And Hughes is 23s. And, and so getting up to 25 i think that might have been what what was skittish with a lot of canucks fans but man like you can get a lot of there's a lot of good young players out there uh, on teams that are in the lower end of that bracket i mean detroit another one who we we talked about earlier and of course bo ha- has connections to that area but they got a lot of good young players in that kind of that bracket too that would work like you know like a pavel zadina would be uh, an interesting one that comes to mind uh, just off the top of my head um but they've got some players in that bracket too. So I don't necessarily think that uh, it, that it, it's so much that they're not looking at draft picks and, and those younger range of players. I think what uh, Canucks fans get a little more skittish of is when you're getting up to 24, 25-year-olds. But, man, young 20s, 100%, man. Again, Noah Dobson, perfect perfect example. Give, hook Noah Dobson up to my veins, man. I'd, I'll take that. Yeah, I think one of the big things is that a lot of teams aren't going to trade those really good young 20-year-old players, especially for a guy like Bo Horvat, who is a UFA at the end of this year. So I think that's where people, like, at least the draft pick, yeah, there's still a bit of a chance, but you're getting, I guess there's a, there's a lot more uncertainty about it, but in a good way, where, like, the guys that you're talking about, like, obviously, look, I would trade Bo Horvat for Noah Dobson straight up, to tomorrow like I would uh just for the need of position that Dobson would fill for our team I would do it in a heartbeat but I don't think he's a guy oh, yeah, that's me too but but I don't think he's gonna get traded like I don't think he's no. the type of young 20 year old player that is gonna be on the Canucks radar or is gonna be available to the Canucks in a Bo Horvat trade I will say this though 
do Canuck fans that are kind of like ridiculing this management group for saying this, or at least the insiders are saying that that's what they've heard from the Canucks organization, do they feel that this management group is a better evaluator of talent than the previous regime? I think they are. I mean, Kuzmenko, now look, there were a lot of teams that were after Kuzmenko. We were just the lucky team to get him. But still, Ethan Bear. Lane Peterson, who yeah. just got called up by the Canucks today. And again, like I know he was kind of a throw in there. Uh, Studnika, I know he was injured for a little bit, so we still haven't seen a ton from him. Riley Stillman. Yeah, jury's I, still out. Exactly. Riley Stillman, look, I, I, I think it was yeah. more about giving up the draft pick and Chicago needed to get rid of a, a contract. And at that time, we had a lot of injuries on the back end. We still haven't seen Travis Dermott play, right? So I just think they were just looking. I don't think they were highly looked sought after Riley Stillman in that deal they were just they took him back as another piece I do think this team this management group part of me early on in their tenure has shown to be better talent evaluators than the previous regime so I do have more faith in them to identify players that are in that age category that are maybe undervalued or are playing behind better more established players in their current team that could come in here and definitely help this organization moving forward but i would still always want to have draft picks you still need to have a a talent pool in the minors and and you need draft picks because that's capital you can use that just because you acquire a draft pick doesn't mean you can then eventually trade it for another draft pick and another player Dakota Joshua is another guy. Yep. And again, slightly different uh, scenarios, but Ilya Mikheyev and Curtis Lazar. Uh, Lazar, of course, had some injuries, but he's had, when Lazar's on his game, he's had some spit and fire to him. And I uh, I really like the way Mikheyev has come into his game the last little while after a slow start and also getting injured. I mean, this team in injuries, right? Like it just keeps on happening. Um, I, I agree, though. I think they're better talent evaluators. I think, though, a lot of that is going to get tied in with the draft and the Canucks from the last draft. I mean, LeCara Mackey's had a rough start, so I think that might also play into some people's thoughts, but he's starting to get a little bit better. He's going. We're going to see him at the World Juniors, so uh, that's going to be good to see as well. But I do think comparing the two regimes, uh, it's it's not quite fair because it is. there's a lot more people involved and people doing smart things like Emily Castingay, the way she's been working the cap has been really excellent. Um, having Jim Rutherford in there who knows hockey inside out is great as well. Like there's just different voices. Like before the old regime, it was Jim and John and we had no idea what John did. And Jim was a terrible public speaker and we don't really know what was going on. Like it's a different regime. And now I'm not saying they should be let off the hook for anything, but I don't think there's anything yet that they've done that's really incriminating. I know that like myself as well, I don't like Riley Stillman playing in the lineup over Kyle Burroughs. Um, I, I haven't been a fan of that, but that was part of what, like you said, what Chicago needed to do to be able to take the uh, Dickinson contract off the Canucks and get a little more cap flexibility. Um, do you think that this management group is going to be willing to let teams talk to Bo Horvat, Like, I mean, the Canucks also have the option of retaining salary, which uh, if you do trade Bo Horvat, there's going to be the option. The Canucks have that ability to do that, which opens up more of the market. But the other thing that could really up his value is if they let a team talk to Bo Horvat before the trade. Do you think they would let other teams do that? I don't know why they wouldn't. And I know there was reports that the draft between uh, the Canucks and the Islanders where one of the reasons that deal fell through 
allegedly for JT Miller, allegedly, was because the Canucks wouldn't let the Islanders talk contract with him prior to the trade being facilitated. I don't know why you wouldn't. Now, I guess the thought is, could that derail the trade because the team you're trying to trade Horvat to isn't getting anywhere as far as a long-term negotiation or a long-term contract would go. But yeah, like I would absolutely because that would up the value in a potential return from the team you're trading him to, at least in my opinion. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I I agree with that. It makes sense. And and now we're always talking about a Horvat trade. Do you think that there's a chance that Horvat re-signs with the Canucks? And if so, what... Not not necessarily, well, give me both. Give me what you think a, a fair deal for Horvat would be from the Canucks and what you think he's looking for. Because there's some reports out there of what he's been looking for, but it sounds like the team and uh, and Bose Camper are far off. But what do you think a, a, at least is a fair deal for Bo? I think a fair deal for Bo would be the same contract the Canucks signed Miller to. To me, that yeah. that's that's that is your that is the contract right there. And and it sounds like there's reports out there that they've offered him around that, maybe even slightly more. So for me, even getting up to Miller's contract, that's that's getting a little bit high. Like I mean, the Canucks dished out some bucks for Miller, um, and do you want another one of those on on the books too? Do you want two $8 million players when you still got to tackle with uh, Pedersen coming up here in a couple of years? Like that's kind of the scenario on a lesser level that Toronto got themselves into. Yeah. I look, I agree. I, I think there's also, I think there's a couple of things at play here. One, and I've heard some media members slightly suggest this. They haven't come out and said it as factual, but they've they've made hints to it that maybe Bo doesn't want to resign here. There is a strong possibility yeah. that he actually doesn't want to resign here for a number of reasons. So that is yeah. obviously in the back burner as well. The other thought I had, and again, you know, maybe I'm crazy, is maybe part of this management group's negotiations to get PD signed long term is to throw the C on him. And it's a lot easier to do that by trading Horvat and not having to rip the C off of Horvat and put it on Petey. And I do think that that could be playing into some long-term 3D chess thinking from this management group as well, is that maybe they see Petey as more of the potential future captain and it's easier for them to trade Horvat now, who's the captain, and then come the summer when they can start negotiating a long-term contract with Petey, you know, they can also say, hey, we want to throw the captaincy on you. We want you to be the leader and the face of this franchise for the next decade, decade and a half. I think that's totally fair. And I mean, this, uh, the Bo Horvat thing is not dissimilar to like a Johnny Goodrow thing, right? Like maybe, maybe Bo wants to be closer to the East Coast and he spent nine years out here and he sees a chance where he can get paid big bucks kind of wherever he wants and there's going to be opportunities. You can't really blame him for that. So if that is a factor in this, if he's like, look, you know, I'm not staying in Vancouver unless you pay me the really big bucks, like we're talking getting in a nine or 10 and the Canucks have a hard line in the sand, uh, then it's just not going to work and you have to make a move. Um, Petey, the way he's been playing this year, I mean, he's been 
excellent and is looking to be a, a legit superstar. And you talk about culture change and again, not knocking Bo, but if you're talking about changing the culture of this team, giving the C to PD and it would be a, a large step in going in that direction. Yeah. And look, I, he's obviously the most talented, the most popular player on this team. He's the face of the franchise. He's the fans favorite player. I don't know any, I know he struggled. Was it, Last year, the beginning of the year, he struggled. And the year before that, he struggled a little bit. And there started to be a little bit of backlash towards Petey. But far and away, he's our best player. Um, Quinn Hughes is right there as well. I would say that, you know, they're different positions. So it's hard to compare them. But he is the face of the franchise. And he is not only our most gifted offensive player, but this year he's proving and showing to be one of our best two-way players and you know you've made this comparison since we started I think maybe the first episode of the podcast Pete I'd have to go back and listen to it I think you know we both kind of mentioned but definitely you were mentioning that you know at his prime PD you know he is Pavel Datsuk light he has that potential to be that two-way force and that's a guy you want to go all in with your chips with and you want to Make him your franchise leader, the face of the franchise. Give him the C. Those are all things I think PD would really, really relish. And I do think that it would help with a long-term contract come next offseason. Pacing for 96 points this year, which uh, would be the largest Canuck point total since last year. JT Miller with 99. Now, I wanted to talk about JT Miller a bit because Bo Horvat and JT Miller seem to be kind of eternally linked is like oh they, they're choosing Miller over Horvat maybe there's some truth to that I think there are some other circumstances and timing and everything else and I think I think the Canucks have made efforts to sign Bo but again if he doesn't want to play here then you're not going to be able to sign him um JT Miller uh, he, he's just the fans a lot of there's a not all the fans but there's a, a percentage of fans that are really turning on Miller because of this. And Miller is still pacing for a 76-point year right now, which is very, very good, even though uh, it's not as big as his more than point-a-game numbers that he put up last year. But I I just, I'm, I'm quite amazed that a guy's our third leading scorer is almost a point a game, is having a lot of people turn on him because he's had some terrible giveaways and hasn't been that great defensively. But he's getting more heat for it than a lot of other players. And I think a lot of it is because it's tied to Bo. And there's there's fans that think they should have signed Bo instead of JT. But I I just, like for me, you look at what JT Miller did last year. And you look at what he actually does on the ice. He's been making some defensive gaffes. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he needs to tidy up that part of his game. But the guy is still producing. Yeah, I think there's a couple things with or with JT Miller. Um, one, I think it's the person who acquired him and when he was acquired, because at the time, a lot of people criticized that that deal. So right from the get-go, people were anti-JT Miller. And I don't know if those that group of fans, even at Miller's peak of last year, the 99-point year, I still don't think any of those fans have ever been fully behind Miller. Then, obviously, it looks going into this year, they signed Miller to the long-term deal. They leave Bo unsigned heading into the season. Now, Bo's made those comments through the team to the public that he doesn't want to talk about his contract negotiations anymore. He just wants to focus on the season and trying to get this team to the playoffs. 
I don't think the team purposely tried to choose JT Miller over Bo Horvat. And I actually mentioned this on the Orca podcast that I was on earlier in the week. I think what had happened was Miller was way more, so much more of a wild card heading into the in, into the season to have him unsigned was far more of a wild card than it was for Jay for than for Bo Horvat to be Horvat is your captain you assume you're probably going to get maybe a bit of a hometown discount from him Horvat yeah he did score 30 goals last year but I don't think anybody thought or saw Horvat scoring at the pace he currently is his goal totals are you know, through the roof. I don't think anyone expected him to be scoring almost above a 40 goal pace right now, which is incredible. And so Horvat has actually ascended himself into that next tier of player and that next tier of what a contract would be, I think, compared to what the Canucks thought they'd be able to do heading into the season. I think they thought they could slowly grind out a negotiation with Horvat during the season. But as Horvat's play has been so much better than previous years it's it's just catapulted them into a, a different tier and it's now they're kind of put themselves in the corner but I don't think they chose Miller over him I think that they chose to sign Miller because they knew that would be a harder and more difficult situation to deal with heading into the season He's pacing for 59 goals this year um, nobody saw that nobody saw 50 or 40 on on the horizon and it's going to be interesting to see if he cools off or not. I hope he doesn't. I hope regardless. I hope he keeps potting them. Um, but uh, it's. I, I do think that... I, I don't think the two are connected. I, I do think they wanted to keep both originally. But now, look, you have to adapt as well. And that's the thing, right? Is we've seen previous management and previous uh, groups with the Canucks stick around too long and get nothing in return. Horvat, if he's not signed... There's no way, no matter where the Canucks are, there's no way you cannot trade him by the trade deadline. Oh, 100%. 100%. And I don't think this management group would let it get that far. I believe Horvat is going to get traded. I really do. I think he gets traded, but I obviously there's a roster freeze. I think it starts this week, I believe. They usually have a, a week or two-week roster freeze during the holidays. I don't think they had any intention of trading him before Christmas anyways, just families and uprooting your family and having to move somewhere else. That's that's a lot. So I, I, I do think that this management group wanted to wait until after Christmas and the New Year's, but I, I expect Horvat to be traded. I really do, because there's no way you can get that close to the trade deadline and not have him A, signed, or B, have your feet held against the fire because you're being forced to trade him for less value than what you would get if you were to trade him two weeks a month prior nhl roster freeze from december 19th to 27th so eight or nine days there where there'll be no moves i don't think uh the canucks would be making any moves then yet either but i do think in the new years uh especially as you get closer to the nhl trade deadline uh, keep an eye on it uh, with Bo because uh, I agree. I think uh, the signs are more likely that he gets traded. Um, I, I'm really curious to see uh, how JT Miller does down the stretch here. Uh, I've always been a fan of Miller, um, and uh, I just think it is quite amazing that this fan base turns on a player who's producing. Like, I mean, I get the criticism towards some of the other guys we've had in the past, but this guy's still producing. So I, I'm really hoping that JT Miller continues to play strong offensively but more importantly right now improves his defensive game because I think this whole hating on JT Miller by Canucks fans is is quite ridiculous 
Uh, a couple other guys, Doug, uh, before we get to the free pour. Spencer Martin, looked, uh, he's looking mean, been looking pretty good. Had a strong game against Calgary there, uh, I thought. And uh, he's doing well with the reins right now, given uh, given everything that's going on around him. Yeah, I thought that Calgary game was definitely Spencer Martin's best game, arguably, of the season. I, especially in the shootout, he played really well in the shootout. And it's nice to see. I, you know, he was obviously thrust into the starting position, which I don't think... He was expecting heading into the season, and he's been doing a a, a very serviceable job. And Niels Hoglander, um, also, I, I've been impressed with Niels uh, and what he's been doing lately. Uh, he's, I, I noticed earlier in the year, uh, once he got benched and came back, and he was skating hard and back-checking more and playing well defensively. But that line, I mean, it's only one game, so I'm not going to get overly excited about it, but obviously that line uh, with Garland and Dries had a really strong game against Calgary as well. But I just wanted to especially talk about Niels Hoglander because... Uh, he has me getting the points, but I've been noticing the effort a lot more. And that's why I, I alluded to earlier is like, I'm not really on the willing to trade him yet because the dude is still young. And I think that you're going to get more out of him. I mean, Hoglander is only 21 years old. I want to see what you you can do. And he's also RFA at the end of the year. That's something that we, uh, we don't talk a lot about. Yeah. I think Hoglander's played a lot better the last couple of weeks his defensive game and just the edge like he's played with a bit of an edge and I know we talked about it and we'd seen it you know in his junior career uh over in Sweden but he he's played with a bit of an edge lately and you like to see that you know and he's a guy that can skate really really well he gets hard on the forecheck and it's just being a little bit more aware on his defensive end, the defensive side of the game. And I think the offense will come. He is a very talented offensive player. And for young guys like him who aren't playing top six minutes every time and aren't playing in the top two power play units every game, it takes them a while to kind of find their stride. Like you said, Pete, he's only 21 years old, and I think he's got a lot of untapped potential left. Yeah, I Totally agree with that. Doug, there's lots more things we could get into, but we're running low on time. So let's take this to the free pour. All right, it's that time of the episode for the free pour open floor segment. And I've got I've to say this. I feel like I might have mentioned this on a free pour segment last year around this time but there is a Christmas movie I want everybody to watch it's got two names it either goes by Cooper's Christmas or Cooper's Camera it is a Canadian Christmas movie that came out in the early to mid 2000s it's got Dave Foley of Kids in the Hall fame in it he plays kind of a smaller role in it but it is a hilarious Christmas movie that people should watch. It is right up there, in my opinion, with classics like Christmas Vacation, Home Alone. It is one of the most funny yet awkward Christmas movies you will ever see. Cooper's Christmas or Cooper's Camera. It goes by two different names. Please do yourself a favor this holiday season and watch it. A Canadian classic. I do remember you mentioning that from last year. Uh, I'm also going to keep with our Christmas theme this episode. Hey, if you are looking for some Christmas music, because I know we don't get enough of that, I want to give a shout out to a couple of Christmas albums that are actually 
good to listen to. And they're both by one man, Mr. James Brown. Uh, I really highly recommend A Soulful Christmas or James Brown's Funky Christmas. They, there is some great stuff in there. Now, the Funky Christmas is more kind of keeps with a Christmas theme, but A Soulful Christmas has a couple of jams and tracks in there that aren't really Christmas songs, but just kind of help work with the whole flow of the album a, as well. Uh, there is some great stuff as well, like uh, on uh, out there, like Santa Claus Goes Straight to the Ghetto, which is a, kind of a James Brown classic. But those two albums do recommend if you want some christmas music that's kind of got that james brown soul flair uh give those two a go soulful christmas and james brown's funky christmas Thanks for tuning in, folks. Episode 130, Season 4, Episode 11 of the Canucks Speak Easy podcast is just about in the books. Thanks again to Dan and Brendan for contributing on this episode. And, Doug, you mentioned this guy's name earlier in the episode, but I wanted to bring up Yarmir Yager again. He's kind of becoming like this generation's Gordy Howe, the guy playing games at 50 years old this week over in the Czech Republic, or Chechia as it's called now. And isn't he the owner of the team as well? I heard maybe. Yeah, I, and I he, he, yeah he's the owner of the team, and he kind of, I think they had a, an illness go through the team, and so he's, he laced him up and had a couple of helpers as well. Yeah, I mean, look, Yager is an incredible, incredible talent. He's like probably yeah not probably i'd say he well it's tough definitely top 10 you can make the argument top five all time i don't know yeah when you really get to the nitty-gritty he's right there but i mean yager's an incredible talent incredible talent and i love seeing it yeah it's so cool man i mean uh he's just one of those characters it's great to see him around the game and i just uh, i thought that was really cool also um before we go doug pick for the World Cup final, who is going to win, Argentina or France? I'm going to Argentina because I think Messi getting the World Cup on his resume is the better story. France won the last World Cup, so Argentina for me. It is the better story. Um, France somehow, because I'll, I'll, you went Argentina, I'll go France because I'm totally on the fence here. Uh, France somehow is just being able to pull out these wins, even though they've never turned it up a gear, and I'm hoping for this game they do but I, I will say Messi if he's able to win the World Cup that immortalizes him he's, he's gonna he's like their next Maradona so um, both would be pretty cool I'll be getting up early to watch that game uh, don't forget folks you can follow us online I'm at Pete underscore gas on Twitter and do check out our playlist on Spotify the Canucks Speakeasy outro playlist all the jams end up there you can give me a follow on Twitter at Doug Venn be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at Canucks Speak. As always, thanks for listening. Merry Christmas.